remember I said about a 23% of firms are considered high growth. Makes the sense. Average, the median growth rate of the high growth firms is 56.4%. Wow. Yeah. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, you are back from Mexico. You did Thanksgiving in Mexico. How was that? Thanksgiving in Mexico is the best because it's you're sitting on the beach, you even get real turkey dinner, like you get gringo Thanksgiving, which is nice. <laughs> um, you just check out. It's it's the way to go. The accounting news that was nice because I had time. I got caught up on all my news. I have no more articles in my backlog. Yeah, you, you have like 12 things that we've got to talk about. So we better jump into this if we're going to get through it all. Yeah, absolutely. And so this will be a test because I think we've gotten some feedback through social media. Some people say, hey, you guys should do more articles. Some people are like, no, keep it tight at 20 minutes. Um, right now it's 50-50. I think I'm going to put out a real deal survey this week so we get a better uh, quantitative uh, number here on Twitter. But as of right now, we have a lot to go through. So let's jump in. Let's do it. So we're going to compromise. We're just going to pack an hour of stuff into 20 minutes. Go. Yes, today we are, for sure. I think big news last week was uh, Intuit released their earnings. Mm-hmm. The big highlights from that were, I think, that we really care about or we'd like to watch are the um, QBO online subscribers growth. So they're now at 3.6 million subscribers, Intuit is. It grew by another 41%, if you can believe that. I feel like it's been growing at 41% uh, every quarter now for maybe three years. Um, and I think cloud accounting in general, I think zero has been growing at the same mm-hmm. clip as well. Like cloud accounting itself is growing at 40% a year, I think mm-hmm. it's safe to say. So, so anyways, they're up at 3.6 million subscribers, but they also uh, talked about their uh, US numbers as well. So US, US subscribers is at 2.7 million. Mm-hmm. And international subscribers grew at 61% and is now approaching 800, or is it now at 880,000. Wow. Um, and I thought it was interesting because I think I've sent you the picture in your chat, but they have all the U.S. numbers. And it's interesting to kind of look at those versus Zero's numbers. So we talked about Zero's last podcast because Zero had that mid-year report out. Yeah. So if you if you look side by side, so Zero had, they hit 1.6 million worldwide. And so their North America were reported as 178,000. And, and Intuit's was, I just lost it. Well, it's 2.7 million U.S. subscribers. Internationally, QuickBooks is at 880,000. Yeah. And and I think it gets, it's it's interesting the way both report it because I, Zero just says rest of the world, but Intuit has their numbers broken out by um, some deeper regions like France mm-hmm. and India. But I thought the interesting number was in the U.K. Zero and QuickBooks are pretty much equal. I think Zero reported 350,000 in the UK. QBO is now at 305,000. So it's almost 50% equal uh, number of subscribers in the UK. But um, Australia, definitely, uh, Australia, New Zealand, for sure, Zero is still winning that that market. And in the North America, QBO by far is destroying Zero in that market. Mm -hmm. But rest of the world's pretty equal. Outside of those, those two, their two original markets, if you want to call it, think of it that way. Yeah. They're dominating their original markets, but then outside of that, it's 50 50. So there, there were a couple of articles that came out that were written as a follow up to QuickBooks Connect that are a great tie into this, which is uh, Matt Path wrote an article. He always writes the, the article that nobody else will write. Yep. It's always a good one. Sholto McPherson also had a great summary. They had some great takeaways that we, to be honest, we kind of missed, uh, especially when it comes to where Intuit is headed in terms of 
new products or, or what their direction is, right? One thing I, I totally missed and or remissed is QuickBooks is the online is kind of the legacy brand. It used to be you'd have Intuit QuickBooks and the word online in the logo. Now it's just QuickBooks. It's just Intuit QuickBooks and that's QuickBooks online, right? Right. And desktop gets the lower billing. Intuit QuickBooks has a sub-brand desktop uh, now. <clears throat> so they've changed the logo. So they've changed the logos now. Now just plain old QuickBooks, that means online. QuickBooks desktop means the late, that's now the legacy product. Exactly, right? And so there's this, there's this handoff. And in a lot of Mark's, Matt's article is all about legacy and handoff, which we've talked about a little bit before. The other parts we talked about um, with Brad Smith and Sasan. But ultimately, the, the ones, things we missed is we missed the logo. That was really interesting. And then the other big well, one they is... Didn't, they didn't make a big deal about that, right? Like Intuit just sort of like did it. Yeah, exactly. But Matt picked up on it, yeah, thinking about legacy. And <laughs> we, we talked about these things real time that day. Matt took, I don't know, two weeks to write his article here. So he had a lot more time to digest <laughs> a little bit. Uh, that's, our, that's our excuse. But one thing I think Matt starts to lay the theory of, and then we can talk about it a little bit more um, in the next article is, so Matt kind of makes the theory of QBO could just be a loss leader on Intuit's journey to become a bank. Right, with all of the announcements about QuickBooks Capital and uh, some other, oh, same day payroll, same day invoice factoring. What are they calling that? I forget the name. They're not calling it factoring. Uh, uh, same, same day payments. Same day payments where they take, yeah. what, 1%. And Intuit has kind of always done this, that the QuickBooks subscription or license fee is really cheap, really affordable. And they make their money on add-ons which in the desktop world was primarily payroll and merchant services, right? You might pay a few hundred dollars for QuickBooks, but you could pay thousands of dollars for payroll and merchant services as a small business. And now that is expanding in the online world into loans. Yeah, and, and I think it falls along the logic I've always argued about. Whoever, whoever owns the customers is going to win. The heart and the mind share. And the, the best example I could give is American Express and Costco. American Express used to be the official credit card for Costco. They thought customers loved American Express. The contract was up. Costco and American Express played hardball with each other. Costco bet that people love Costco. And millions of people, including myself, stopped using an Amex card and switched to the Visa card because now that's the official card of Costco. And so it's kind of that same thing, I think, with, it, with Intuit's play here is, hey, the customers love QuickBooks and they love Intuit more than they love the banks. Yeah. And it's very easy to, you know, market to them. And this is a Shiloto's point when we go to the next article. It's very easy to market to them and just uh, get well, them to be loyal to your other other product offerings. Right. And when it comes to lending, that is a traditionally terrible, inefficient process that requires business owners putting together all sorts of reports, exporting information from their accounting system, which may not, you know, they may not even have. And it's not good. It's not a good experience. And a lot of business owners get denied, but Intuit has access to all of this really, really valuable general ledger information, sales information that they can use to make loans automatically, right? They can automate that entire process say, and pre-qualify their customers for lines of credit and whatnot. And so then Flamengo Rochelto's uh, article, he really kind of takes a thought that Matt had in his article and really lays out a case with real numbers and real calculations. Talks about, you know, different parts of the funnel, the pain awareness, and then uh, Intuit is the ability to, to put promotions right in front of people. Then the middle of the funnel, like we, we 
can look at their intuit can look at the data right and then mark it mm-hmm. based on the data in the file and then already have them pre-approved at the bottom of the funnel when they're ready when somebody's actually finally ready to make a purchase decision the answer is already there intuit knows the answer before the customer asks right and he really ties this back to guess who's a trillion dollar company that does this really well amazon and with one click ordering and to some extent, like all these financial services could turn into one click because of Intuit. And I think he makes a really good argument in this article and everybody should read it. Uh, both these articles actually are really, really good. All right. We'll post those in the show notes. Thank you, Matt and Sholto. Yeah. So before we jump to something else, though, one thing that was Intuit's earnings, which I just thought was staggering to look at, has nothing to do with cloud accounting, but it's really the TurboTax space. And in just the U.S. tax industry landscape. So this is like the last decade of the tax industry. So there were, overall, there's 143 people that had to file tax returns 10 years ago. Now there's about 152 million. So it's grown by 10 million, the number of taxpayers, mm-hmm. right? The interesting thing, if you look at these numbers, TurboTax used to only do 22 million of the tax returns in the country. And now TurboTax is doing 41 million. The manual taxpayers was at 15%. Or 15 million, and now it's down to 4 million. About every two years, it drops by another million. So, manual in six years is going to be gone. There will be nobody doing manual tax returns. But the weird, the or weird, sorry, the really interesting number that, that if you look at the um, tax stores, their market share is just shrinking astronomically as people that do it themselves, either through TurboTax or other DIY software. They're just crushing the tax stores. Even the CPAs are still growing because the number of tax the number of all tax returns is going up. So the CPA firms and professionals are growing, but the tax stores are getting slaughtered. Like they may not make it across the board. God, wow. TurboTax has grown so fast from 22 million to 41 million over 10 years from 2008 to 2018. And the interesting thing will be is where does this, as six years from now, when manual stops, right? And then based on the decline for stores, like what happens when TurboTax takes away all what's left of the tax stores? Will it ever start dipping into the CPA and the professionals? Or will there some, some balance finally form here? Well, but for the last 10 years, it's been a, yeah. it's been a machine. I mean, I, the, the more sophisticated the TurboTax can become, the, the more at risk the professional shops are that the CP, the accounting firms are. And great examples of that are the individual returns that go along with the business returns. But I think that CPAs are protected because you know, a, a business owner isn't that price sensitive when it comes to their tax work. They're more interested in quality. And so are they going to take that individual return and go fill out their own TurboTax? I doubt it. <laughs> you know, not, not, not likely yeah, to happen. And, and I, I think I remember Brad Smith saying this, years ago that like, because there's always business talk about, you know, the the one minute tax return or tax form re- uh, uh, reinvention. And you know, there's always been talk about this, right? About simplifying the tax process, et cetera, et cetera. And like you, he was always saying like, chances are if they ever, if it ever truly got too simple, everybody would do it themselves. Like, like it's, it's kind of the opposite, right? Everybody would use TurboTax to do it themselves right. if it was super simple because then nobody would justify spending, you know, 69 million people that go to a CPA or a professional would not do that anymore if it got simple. So it's kind of like the opposite theory of like, oh, Intuit wants it complicated, but really Intuit would want it simplified because they would, they would steal another 69 million mm-hmm. returns uh, from that part of the market. So enough about Intuit though, enough about Intuit. Let's talk about important things like employees. 
I think we have a couple employee articles here. Yeah, let's see what you got here. An interesting one about tech. 38% of employees do not want management dictating the tech they use for work. I know I am, have been on that <laughs> kick myself. I hate using any tech IT wants. I've always thought my laptop or like I grew up doing construction and my dad, you'd bring your own saw and your own hammer to the job site, right? Nobody told you to use this hammer. And it's kind of that same thing. And I think you're on that page, right? You want oh, yeah, to yeah. use your I own mean, tech, correct? One of the really attractive things about going to work for Flowcast was that they said I could use whatever I wanted. I could use a Mac, I could use PC, I could install my own apps. Such a magnificent change after being forced into one platform in my last accounting gig. That's interesting that that, that affected you getting hired there because the article I mean, talks I, about I that. I probably would have been um, okay. Like I, I don't think I would have turned down the job, but I also think that if we didn't have that policy in our in our team that we would have trouble attracting people and and overall i think it just represents a different approach to employees you know not dictating what tools they're going to use i mean the, we we'd be a different company if we didn't have that philosophy it's not just about the the tech the specific computer i use right does that make sense yeah i mean ultimately i think this is the best in here the the key is for business looking to keep their workforce yeah. happy and productive and if you do that, you're going to have to give up some IT control and, and let people have some freedom with that. I think there's a couple of interesting takeaways. I I saw this happen at Intuit back in the day. Intuit was only IBM PCs, Lenovo. And then people, when Apple iPhone came out and people really started having that brand loyalty to Apple, right? And people would just start, they'd bypass IT and start getting mm. um, MacBook Pros. And then eventually now MacBook Pro is the official computer of Intuit, I think, <laughs> if I remember correctly. So so it's kind of funny how the uh, the employees drove the tech adoption. And this is, and Dave Barrett has a great blog post about this from, Dave Barrett is the CEO of Expensify. And I think for the last eight years, that's been Expensify's business model is just get the employees, right? And I, I think I've even heard stories of T-sheets where employees will go to a new company and they'll demand mm -hmm. T-shirts because they used it at yeah. a different company. So, so right? this... Uh just to, to give everyone a little context, the, this stat that it's it, the stat is that 38% of employees don't want management dictating the tech they use for work. They want to choose it for themselves. And it's from a, re, a report by Nextplane called The Fight to Collaborate a Growing Rift Between IT and Teams. I agree. Uh, I, Expensify's entire business model, for at least for the early years, was. was built on this grassroots type of IT approach where one person or a small group of people in a corporation would hate the way they were doing expense reports. Maybe they were forced to use some legacy system. Maybe there wasn't even a system and they had to create an Excel sheet and tape receipts and fax them in, that sort of thing. And expensive, I said, okay, well, you don't have to get IT approval to use our software. You can just start using it for free. And you can make a beautiful expense report that you can then email to your accountants at your company. And so what happens is that enough people start doing this that the accountants are like, oh, shit, this is amazing. We should, we should do this. And then accounting and IT all get on board and they buy it. So it's it's totally from the bottom up type of approach. And, um, and I think I saw it even um, with some sharing utilities. Like Dropbox, yeah, Dropbox is a great like example. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if some of our booking and accounting firms are going to start seeing this where their employers are like, I only want to use the cloud software because the bank feeds are oh, better. Yeah. I don't want to use some desktop app that you have our clients on. I can, and actually, I know this for a fact has happened with an accounting firm where they have a, a mix of desktop 
Cooper's desktop customers, a mix of uh, clients that are on Cooper's online. And they discovered the employees were, uh, all the bookkeepers in the firm were kind of neglecting the desktop customers because they hated working in it. <laughs> so, so this is already happening uh, from the accounting standpoint as well. So speaking, so obviously if you let people pick technology, you can retain your employees, right? You, you, you don't have that, that hammer over their head. Another interesting thing that's kind of bubbled up um, is paying your employees the same day. So I have two links we'll get in there. One is there's a podcast from uh, NPR's uh, Daily Indicator, and it kind of gives a history of payday, why paydays used to be when people were harvesting oil from whales. They used to be you got paid every two years when you returned with the boat to uh, people were getting paid for a while every Saturday. And it's kind of, as taxes came in, it kind of went to like a biweekly payroll, super, super popular, right? And so there's an NPR uh, podcast for everybody to listen to, which is really good. And then recently just announced ADP, well, QuickBooks talked about it's coming, right? Same day payroll, but apparently ADP has released it. And um, one of the customers was talking about that. Most of, well, first, I think employees wise, one thing that the devoted 70% of the people surveyed want shorter pay cycles. So the vast majority of employees want to be paid much sooner than every two weeks. Yeah. I mean, two weeks is, is a long time. And, and usually by the time you get that direct deposit, it's even longer. So, you know, you've got the two weeks are up and then you have to wait like another week for your actual pay. And, and this uh, hotel company, so they have some hotels and some museums or something, but they, uh, they're they reporting that since they've switched to daily payments, they uh, are able to uh, recruit employees easier and have higher retention rates. Uh, we could be getting to a, a point where at the end of every day, you'll have that direct deposit in your bank account. It's it's we're, it's definitely going to be here. So there's just two, uh, two quick ones to, uh, worth people checking out. Um, I think you had a survey about uh, high-performing firms, right? Yeah. So... I came across this really interesting survey by Hinge Marketing. It's a 2018 survey, so this year. It's called the 2018 High Growth Study. Hinge is a marketing agency, a small marketing agency that serves just professional service firms. And they did a really nice job with this report, so check it out. I'll put the link in the notes, as always. Some, some items that are just really interesting to call out. Oh, and, and by the way, over a thousand firms participated in this study, accounting firms and consulting firms, with 176 billion in combined revenues and over 1 million full time employees. Uh, and they together have over 20 billion in marketing budgets. So, not a small survey. What was really interesting to me was the growth rates. So, if you compare accounting and finance to other professional services areas like tech, consulting, architecture, legal, accounting has the lowest growth rate of all at 6.1%. That's the median growth rate for 2017, 6.1%. Even legal is growing faster than, than accounting at 8.3%. And then tech is at you know 11.4%, of course, right? Good time to be a professional services person in tech. So accounting is not growing all that fast compared to other professional services. Not shoddy, but not fast. But what's interesting is if you break that down into different firms and you look at, well, inside of accounting and finances and overall industry, who's growing, about 23% of firms are considered high growth, meaning that they are experiencing over 20% growth annually. Like that's really, really fast, right? A little less than a quarter of firms are high growth. 
60% of firms are average growth, right? Which means they're growing less than 20%, but they're still growing. And then about 17% of firms are not growing at all. So they're either not growing or they're shrinking. So, so if, the, if the market's not expanding very fast, if, somebody's grow, if firms are growing at 20% plus a year, they're stealing clients from other people. I mean, well, yeah. stealing's not the right way, way, way <laughs> but I, I kind of use that same when I was talking about the uh, TurboTax numbers before, right? They're, 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 they're eating the lunch of the other people and they're just taking the, well, and I guess the A and B clients as well. Yeah. So, well, here's what's interesting, actually, that, that you would think that, but the data doesn't support that. I think it, what's happening is that the vast majority of firms are growing very slowly or not at all, like three quarters of firms um, or shrinking. And that one quarter of firms that is growing is taking all the new customers. Uh, okay. Remember, I said about a 23% of firms are considered high growth. Makes the sense. Average, the median growth rate of the high growth firms is 56.4%. Wow. Yeah. So high growth firms, right? The minority of firms that are growing fast are growing at an average of 56.4% annually, which totally makes sense to me. I was part of that in my own small firm, just being in the right place at the right time with, with zero, with cloud accounting. I mean, it's hard not to grow when you're the only, you know, the second bookkeeper in the country that's using zero, right? That was, that was my particular situation. So I got lucky. And there's tons of other firms that have, you know, caught onto this that are now doing this, right? Since, since QuickBooks Online got good, since zero got good, since Sage Intact, you know, became a viable option, since NetSuite really started taking off. And though I think the firms that are using cloud, right, and of course all of the add-ons, expensifybill.com, you know, go, go, T-sheets goes on and on and on, right? They're the ones who are just eating up all the new customers. So does this, I mean, I think this covers a lot of marketing type stuff. Does it talk about whether or not these high growth firms, what technology stacks are using? Because I think I've seen a survey before a year and a half, two years ago about uh, firms that are 100% cloud were growing at 14% and firms that were like had a mix of cloud and desktop were growing at about um, uh, 4 to 6% and firms that only have desktop clients only were losing, were, were losing market, uh, yeah, clients. It, it, so this is just an executive summary. The actual report's like 500 bucks and I just don't feel like spending that kind of money. So if you're a listener and you want to, you want to donate uh, <laughs> to the cloud accounting podcast so we can get the full report. What if you're hinge to... mark, is it hinge marketing? <laughs> hinge marketing. Yeah. If hinge marketing would like to share the report with us, we can yeah, dig into that. That would be, it'd be great to um, get some more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but so I don't have that information for you, but I I can tell you that my suspicion is yes, it's got to be that way, right? The high growth firms are the ones that are. I I, I agree. And you can see this in the fact that uh, average growth firms, so that sixty percent of firms that are just growing average, they're only growing seven percent, and the no growth firms are shrinking on average by like almost two percent every year. Yeah, because going cloud. Automating uh, some of your workflows and processes by using other cloud apps, you can just take out more clients. I mean, it's it's simple math. Yeah, and and you can stay on desktop, right? But you are not going to grow. Uh, but I think a lot of partners and firms where they are desktop based and they are not moving to cloud are really just they just want to pull in checks until they retire, and they're not interested in modernizing. Well, everybody so listening to us is high growth firm, so I think we're spe- or I mean, if you're not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we can we can dish out on them on the no growth firms all day long and nobody will get mad at us. Uh 
one more chart from this report and then I'll shut up. Of the high growth firms, or if you compare high growth and no growth firms, actually, they don't talk about the particular technology being used, but they do say that the high growth firms, uh, 43% of them, actually rather, 34% of them are offering specialized services, whereas only 24% of the no growth firms are. And high growth firms are more likely to be industry specialists. They're more likely to be able to serve a specific role or organizational function, solve specific problems. Um, I mean, and interestingly, they're, they're niche. They're so, I mean, they're solving niche, yeah. niche things. Yeah. And interestingly, the high growth firms are actually less likely to be using specific technology, which means to me that they're more likely to use a variety of tools. Which, which full circle goes right back to the article of keep your employees happy by utilizing whatever technology your employees want to use. Maybe these, these high growth firms are actually really, they're technically able to use whatever technology their clients bring to the table. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. Yeah, they're willing to experiment and make mistakes. And th this is why when people when people ask me about the cost of moving to cloud and how disruptive it is, I say, yeah, it's painful. It's expensive. You're going to lose people. But the upside is so humongous. And this this right here, I'm staring at this chart. I'm going to paste it in the show notes. Like, this is the reason why it's worth that risk, that 56% growth. On average, which means that, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure there's firms that are out there doubling every year. It's got to be. It's, yeah, it's, this is pretty staggering. Um, this is a great find, actually. These are, it's dumbfounding, these numbers that are in this. Um, we're coming up to a half hour, so I don't know if we should go past this, per se. I, I'll just ran, go rapidly through there's, uh, two more articles quickly. Uh, there's an article about, from Bloomberg Tax, blockchains promise to revolutionizing yeah, let's rewind the title here. Blockchain <laughs> promise to revolution, revolutionize accounting hits the reality wall. Uh, some of the article is basically this. Blockchain's not going to change a lot of our workflows in our space for a decade. You can read the article, but that's the gist of it. A year ago, everybody was like, this is going to change everything in six months. As people are really starting to have serious conversations about blockchain in the accounting industry, people are starting to come to the consensus that this is well way far off. So we might never have to talk about blockchain again. For a decade. <laughs> For a decade. Well, and I am I'm so glad that this is finally people are realizing that blockchain is not gonna it's just I've been saying this. I, I don't understand. How is blockchain gonna change audit? Tell me in the next five years, what are people suddenly gonna start using it? And we're not gonna be using banks anymore? Like, no, it's not gonna happen. It's gonna take long time. It's gonna make the audit more complex, actually. The auditors I talk to say no, blockchain gets it makes the audit more difficult because now you have to audit the actual technology too. Yeah, and some of the arguments is like companies are not likely to share their general ledger with another company. Yeah. Like, that's not like gonna the, be public information. So like yeah. how do you yeah. So I think it's a, it's worth reading. It's actually a really good article and it brings some sanity to this that we've been having. And then I don't and know. Now, and if I want, would like you okay. to say if if you're at a conference and somebody gets up there and starts talking about how blockchain is going to automate the audit, just just walk out. Just stop listening to them immediately because they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, even Sean Stein, who we had a uh, we had him on the podcast, and he, he had, there's a quote from him in this article, which we could so we can use this as our quote, right? I am fully confident that ten years from now, blockchain is not going to be some new radical idea. It's going to be part of how business business is conducted, and so it's good that even he, who is crazy in love with Bitcoin and blockchain, is has a ten year perspective on this. Meanwhile, Bitcoin hit a new low <laughs> today. I saw that. today. Uh, 
let's see, Bitcoin, what's the current price of Bitcoin? It is now at $3,640 to the Bitcoin, down from a 20,000 high, something like that earlier this year. Yeah, I, I wrote my January predictions and Bitcoin was in one of those, the Bitcoin collapse. So I, I'm feeling really good now that I'm going to make it out to the end of the year with, <laughs> with a huge, because my prediction was people are going to lose their ass and they did. Yeah. Bad, 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 bad. So the other thing is there was some multi-factor stuff, news that we could just put the links in and we not discuss much, but uh, a lot of people do multi, uh, multi-factor authentication when they sign the websites and they get a text back. Apparently there's some uh, security issues, some leaks in that. So maybe... That makes you kind of second guess, like, are you doing the right thing security-wise? And then Microsoft had a 14-hour outage with their multi-factor authentication. So on one hand, everybody's, more people are becoming dependent on the security stuff, but even some of those higher security levels that we're taking has its own headaches. The big takeaway for me from these articles, uh, the TechCrunch one about the leaky database of SMS text messages, that is bad. Uh, so if, if, if your app or you're using an app that is still sending you a text message as a, as a way of multi-factor authentication, you put in the code, that is actually no longer considered to be secure because it's too easy for hackers to intercept those text messages. Since you know, text messages are a lot like email. They go through multiple servers, and, and it's hard to know if, if somebody didn't intercept that. And they can spoof your phone number and get it. Um, you know, they can steal your phone number, get the text message, log in as you. So that's no, no good. Um, people really should be using stuff like my, uh, Google Authenticator, LastPass Authenticator, those types of multi-factor where it's just a randomly generated code or an algorithmically generated code on your phone that you enter. You know, hopefully folks will switch over to that eventually. But you know, this whole everybody getting locked out of all their Microsoft accounts for what eight hours or something—that's uh, just an unfortunate consequence of of being secure. Sometimes your security gets the best of you. And on that note, it's worth it. It's worth it. On that note, assuming I can log into Twitter this week, or you can log into Twitter, there's no security issues. Uh, how would somebody tweet with you and uh, track you down? My username is at Blake T. Oliver. And you, David? Uh, at David Leary. We look forward to hearing from you. We hope you enjoyed this Thanksgiving-sized podcast episode. Ah, good perspective. Yeah. It's the, the Thanksgiving-sized episode. Way to go. But now I'm caught up. I'm all cut up. There's no more articles. Uh, you are now. Do you feel a sense of satisfaction and completion now that you've digested all of your articles? I, 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 we'll see. We'll see what happens this week in uh, Cloud Academy. Or are you, like me, going to start having regret about how much you ate? Oh, I had that regret. I, I need to go run <laughs> right now. So on that note, we'll, we'll go hit the gym. All right. Enjoy your run. Bye, Blake. <laughs>